In seven decades of Formula One history, few drivers rival Alain Prost. And Alain Prost takes the checkered flag. He wins the world championship. With McLaren, he won three titles, beating some of the fastest drivers who ever raced. His battles with Ayrton Senna are legendary. As teammates, they would do anything to beat each other as they traded titles to both become triple world champions. But Prost's fourth crown came in his most difficult season, and 30 years on, he remembers it like it was yesterday. Hello everyone, it's Tom Clarkson here, and welcome to a very special F1 Beyond the Grid. Alain Prost's title win in 1993 marked his triumphant return to Formula One. He'd spent 1992 on the sidelines after leaving Ferrari dramatically before the end of 1991. It's often said he was fired because he likened his Ferrari to a truck. He disputes that even now. That's a story for another day. In 1993, Prost returned with Williams, replacing 92 world champion Nigel Mansell. At the time, Williams was the best team with the fastest cars. The 1993 FW15C had anti-lock brakes, traction control, and so-called active suspension, which was set up by engineers with laptops. It was so sophisticated that the driver always had ideal settings for each corner. How did Prost cope with this new super-advanced car? How did he feel about racing his arch-rival, McLaren's Ayrton Senna? How did team boss Frank Williams, tech chief Patrick Head, designer Adrian Newey and teammate Damon Hill support him? And why was Prost's final triumph his most difficult? These are all questions I asked him in this special interview. I hope you enjoy hearing Alain Prost's memories of 1993. Alan, it is fantastic to have you back on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. I mean, all good, in fact. <laughs> all good. <laughs> now, Alan, time flies, doesn't it? 30 years since you won your last world championship. Of your four titles, how do you rate that 93 season? Excuse me to be a little bit brutal. <laughs> uh, that is maybe the, the worst, in fact. You know, because uh, it reflects more or less. I'm going to be very direct, but the way I've been treated sometimes in my career, because '93 was a very strange season. You know, I signed my contract with Frank very, very soon, beginning of '92, in fact, when I had my sabbatical year, and we started to have the argument. You know, with the Ayrton who wanted to drive. You know, but the uh, it was the plan, it was done. I mean, uh, the only thing I asked to Frank when we met for the first time talking about the contract that was in Paris, Le Bourget, you know, at the airport, I said, okay, you give me the money you want. Uh, I don't want to be number one in the team. But the only thing I ask you is that I cannot be a teammate again with Ayrton. And uh, he said, yes, for sure, I understand. And we can put a clause on that. You know, that started like this. But the old season was really difficult, you know, because I don't want to go through all the episode about the season, but uh, I never felt, never felt good. Obviously, when uh, when you win a race with uh, Williams at the time, you're 
you it's normal when you lose a race you're stupid and uh, uh it, it's not exactly what you a racing driver is aiming for you know you need to have a sort of a uh, objective situation and uh, that was not a very nice season and when we started to have the problem of uh, when Frank came to me and said that I have a pressure from Renault because they want me to take Ayrton I know that we have a contract and uh, I said shit you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that that's not the best way you know to I had a two-year contract and uh, I know I was very supported by Patrick and Van Adrian and uh, but you know we, we we were not in the sportive side, you know. And uh, I said, you know, I want to fight against Ayrton. No problem. You know, on the track, you know, no problem. But not as a teammate, so I cannot accept that. That is why the old '93 season at the end was not uh, not my best on the human side. Let's talk about the competitive side first of all, because it seems to me 1993 was the first time in your career in which you'd gone into the season expecting and expected to dominate. How did that feel and how did it change your approach? It changed because of the, the perception of the people outside. Because for you, when you're a racing driver, I mean, uh, obviously uh, ask uh, Max today because he has a dominating car. I mean, he's not going to change anything. He's going to try to win all the races he can and win the championship. And uh, for me, it was, it was the same. It was uh, a new technology. It was uh, a new car a new way of uh, setting up the car or even working with the engineers, which was not my best, uh, you know, my favorite uh, car uh, in terms of, uh, I used to do more or less everything by myself with working with the engineers and uh, with the active car, it was more done by the engineers working on the computer, you know, of, uh, working on suspension. So that that is maybe the biggest problem, but. Otherwise, uh, I did not have a very different approach. I had a fantastic teammate with uh, Demon. He was uh, really helpful. He had more experience than myself on the active car because he was uh, testing uh, the car before. So it was all different. But at the end, your philosophy is the same. The only big difference is you're fighting against uh, Ayrton with a very, very good chassis. Because in fact, I drove the same chassis the year after, you know, with the Peugeot engine. Maybe not the same uh, powerful engine that is obvious, you know, but he had, a, for me, a better suspension, better electronic on the car. And that we that's what we saw also in Donington on the wet, where we were struggling with the downshifting and things like this. But you cannot explain that. At the end of the day, you could try to explain why you are good or why you're not uh, as good. And uh, nobody understands that in this situation. You know, you always take the, the defense of the... The driver looks uh, weak in terms of uh, of car, which was not true everywhere. Some places, for sure, because our engine was much more powerful. That is uh, that is true. But it was a very difficult car to to drive. Very very difficult. So that was its biggest strength, was it? The the FW15's engine, because you say the McLaren had the better chassis, the the better electronics. So if I was to say to you, what was the Williams's greatest strength? You'd say the engine. If you compare to the competitors, engine first, but obviously it's always a package. And uh, the car was really good some places, much more difficult to drive other places. And uh, you know, the, the the position in the car for me was not not as uh, comfortable than I wanted to. Even Ayrton had the problem. The uh, you know when he replaced me, uh, yeah, it was not uh, not that easy. You know, the the gear change. Uh, 
until the middle of the season where we improved that. It, it was a difficult car to drive considering the, the performance. Obviously, it was very powerful and uh, it was uh, no places where we were, you know, far behind. But at the end of the year, if you remember, the last two races in Japan, in uh, Adelaide, I've tried to do my best to finish with a win. It was not possible. You know, the, the, the McLaren was much quicker. So where was the car at its best? I mean, was it one of the, uh, an open racetrack like Silverstone where you got your 50th win? Was that the sort of racetrack it really shone on? Yeah, you didn't want to have uh, too many bumps. I mean, if, if you had like Silverstone, you know, obviously long straight because the, the engine making a small difference and uh, uh, fast corners. I mean, average speed corner, that was maybe the, maybe the best the car was good. But... Uh, it's difficult to tell because it's uh, if you had a track like Silverstone, or I remember when we were fighting with Ayrton over some places where I was much quicker, some places it was much quicker. You know, it's, uh, it's really, really difficult. It looks like I had a heavy car sometimes and the other light car, which was not the case, I suppose. But, you know, we forget. But uh, these two cars, for example, they had a, a very different technology, in fact. You know, we are talking about active car. But uh, you have different ways, you know, to make the active working. If I look at the Nigel's car the year before that I've tested in uh, Portugal, it was more like a normal car with the, I say, yeah, it was active, but it was more like uh, controlling, you know, the ride height. Uh, 93 car was more like a complete active car, you know, with no anti-dive, anti-squat, things like this. And I was making the car much more difficult, much more difficult also to set up. You know, to find the right balance. But if you're having the right balance, that would be a fantastic car. So if you combine the 93 active system with things like ABS, traction control, what kind of a feel was the car giving you? My style of driving and my style also, I, I think, of uh, trying to set up the car is quite different to a lot of drivers. For example, with the with Williams, we had the possibility to use the power steering and the ABS on the brakes. If I remember, I never used it. I've tried many times, so maybe one race. I don't remember where it was. Uh, I wonder if it was not Silverstone. Maybe we could ask Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I did not like it because, uh, first of all, I did not have the, the right feeling for setting up the car, not the way I wanted to. And when I put the active uh, power steering or the, the ABS, I was uh, losing even more some feeling. So it was not good for me, for my driving style. Just out of interest, was Damon using power steering and, and all of those tricks yep. to help him and you weren't able to? I could have been able, but I did not like it. I preferred to stay, around the, let's say, the old way. <laughs> yeah. Alan, you must have been so strong. To, to drive those cars uh, without power steering, for goodness sake. It was not uh, uh, a problem. I mean, uh, you know, it's 30 years ago, so I don't remember which race I used it because maybe find it was maybe a little bit too heavy, you know, in terms of, uh, of steering. But uh, I even do not remember if it was the case. That 93 season also saw narrower front and rear tyres as well. Uh, what difference did that make to the handling? Oh, if you remember, I had a strong argument with Max, uh, Max Mosley at the beginning of the year about this new new world, you know, because uh, uh, in fact, we, we put these narrow tiles for uh, safety reasons. 
And uh, in fact, what I was saying at the time, I remember after my test in Portugal, I said, why we don't test these tires before we make this decision to introduce? It was not a bad, uh, maybe not a bad idea, but uh, at the end of the day, you were quicker in the straight, you know, so, and not much slower in uh, into the corners. So, did not make a, a big difference. Yeah, racing driver, normally you can adapt your style to almost everything. That was not a big, big change. Alan, tell us a little bit more about what it was like racing for Williams. First up, how did the team compare to McLaren in particular? You know, that other British titan. Yeah, that's a difficult question for me because, uh, as I said before, you know, the, the old ambience was a bit strange. You know, you had uh, obviously the Williams team and then you had Renault on one side and then you had... Uh, Athens uh, from Tom, you know, about the signing and we're trying to get there in the team. So, and the media, because the media, they were not very nice uh, to me, you know, at the time, which, because, you know, as I said, you support the guy with normally the, the wicked car. <laughs> mm. So at McLaren, I had different, uh, obviously, period, you know, if you take that with Nikki and with Stefan and with KK, it was fantastic. With Ayrton, the first year was really fantastic, really a big fight. 89 was again a nightmare because of the situation. But at McLaren, I had much more a family team, you know, and uh, it's difficult to compare because I was a uh, I was really good friend with Rod and especially Mansour, you know, and uh, from from the beginning for many many years. So it was a bit different. And when Ayrton came, for sure, our friendship was a little bit uh, different. I always wanted to support the team and get the best decisions for the team. That is why also I have supported there that uh, the fact that Ayrton should come in the team and not Nelson at the time, you know. Could you have vetoed Ayrton's arrival at McLaren? Uh, I had no, I mean, nothing contractually, you know, but uh, I think it would have been easy for me at the time to say, no, I prefer to have Nelson, I prefer to have somebody. And when we were in a meeting in Japan, you know, with all the people that were talking about that, and no, we, we were going to with, uh, with Nelson, which is good friend, but I said, why you don't take the young um, young guy? I mean, Ayrton is, is the future of the Formula One. It should be the future of the team. Saying that today looks stupid, you know? Mm. <laughs> but uh, that that was the philosophy at the time. I was always doing everything for McLaren. I was going with one with all the important meetings. I was going to find sponsors. I was uh, going to, I mean, all the sponsors have been almost with, with one together, you know? That is not the way that you're working now in, into Formula One, you know, it's very, very different. So with Frank, with Williams, it was a different atmosphere. Very, very close with the racing team, very, very close. But it is also an attitude that uh, for Latin drivers like me, where you, you're sensible, you want to have a sort of a, a relation, you have a, it's different, it's a, it's a different culture. I really do not criticize. I do not criticize at all, but it's good. This ambience is good for some drivers and maybe not as good for other drivers. Uh, McLean at the time, I don't know the team today because it's different, but uh, I think everybody could feel more or less quite well, except that sometimes they have a favorite, you know, <laughs> but at least you are in a family. It seems to me that at McLaren, you were more 
than just a racing driver. Whereas at Williams, you were just that, the racing driver. Yes, I mean, but uh, it's not uh, Eden. I mean, I'll be honest about that. You know, you are a racing driver, so you are an employee. So you, you do more or less what we want uh, you to do. And uh, I remember when I met my seat the first time at Williams, you know, I mean, it was struggling a little bit difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm really a pain in the ass, some, you know, sometimes to make <laughs> a, a proper seat because I like my, my, you know, the good position, the comfort, everything. At the end of the day, I said, no, sorry, but you have to make the seat with Nigel's seat. So I took Nigel's seat. And then I, I modified everything, you know, for adopting Nigel seat, you know, because it was easier to, to make it. It's like this, and uh, Ayrton was complaining about a lot of uh, different things. He was calling me many times to ask me advices. So it's a different uh, culture, different mentality, and uh, you have to accept it. But when you're there, when you're, you know, if everything goes well, it's, it's fantastic. But uh, on the human side, it's not as easy to other places. What was it like working with Patrick Head and, and how did that experience compare with someone like John Barnard at McLaren? I think they have a very similar, let's say, culture. I love working with both, you know, John and Patrick, honestly. Patrick was much, uh, let's say, stronger. That means sometimes he could be a little bit more brutal, you know, but they are really... Uh, Passionate people, passionate by the you know the technology, and uh, I think uh, John was maybe a little bit more open. I mean, if you tell him, ah, John, sorry, but it's not working, or it's not the way to go, or, or you know, he would um, accept it more than Patrick. Patrick was really, really, really strong. Again, because the philosophy of the driver should not be too important, you know. And uh, the philosophy at McLaren at the time with John was maybe a little bit easier. One more technical person I'd love to ask you about was Adrian Newey, because, of course, uh, he designed the FW15C. He's still going strong today. Um, what did you make of Adrian all those years ago? I mean, I worked with Adrian for sure at Williams. I uh, also did it at McLaren, but in a different role. And I remember '93 season, and even after looking at him, and even even now looking at him from outside, sometimes because you you see him very often, and uh, it's it's he's he's very different, you know. Because I remember at Williams '93, obviously you 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 can be very confident with uh, Adrian, but don't forget that uh, Patrick was there, was above him in, in a way. It was a bit uh, different organization. But I love talking to Adrian. But Adrian is listening to you, asking questions all the time. You never have an argument with uh, Adrian. You're talking with Adrian and uh, he's listening. And then he does what he thinks is the best. But he never tells you what he's going to do or, or if you're right or if you're wrong. Nothing. Just listening and talking. I love that. You know, that is why it's the best because you know why. Because everybody thinks that... Uh, Adrian is uh, still one engineer. I mean, I don't know now, but he was at McLaren. I remember going in his office and uh, drawing some parts of the car, saying I did by, by hand, you know. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable. But also the way he's uh, working and listening, and it's fantastic for the engineers working with him. It brings energy. And the synergy in terms of the brain capacity is fantastic. 
Checo Perez told us on this podcast that when you're talking to Adrian, it's like you're talking to another racing driver. Yeah. He understood your concerns as if he was a driver. Did you find it the same back then? Yeah. I mean, in a way, yes, for sure. Is there. You, you, you know, when I was with him in 93, I mean, as a racing driver, I'm talking, is that I did not know that he, he was also driving or for sure there you can feel the passion. There is no, no doubt about it. But I did not know, but uh, Adrian would never tell you, okay, I drove this car, or I drove that, I, f- I felt that, and uh, do, do you feel the same or whatever? Never never compare anything because he, he knows the Formula 1 is very different. But at least he has the attitude of... Uh, I mean, in, in fact, we are very similar. As I said, you always uh, listen. And uh, if you are a racing driver, you always want to have the best, you know. And uh, Adrian is the same. And that is why he will uh, talk to you, but not asking questions. But the, the answer is going to be natural, you know, because it's like part of your, of your family. It's, it's very different. Yeah. And he's also ferociously competitive as well. That's another thing that the Red Bull guys tell me. Yes, because I saw him at my experience I had with him a little bit uh, when I was uh, at Renault and uh, we had uh, uh, a few mechanical failures uh, with the engine. I was the one uh, that uh, Renault pushed in order to go and talk to the Max family and uh, Adrian or, or Helmut or, or Christian. I, tell you, I remember in, in Spa, I mean, going to the office and uh, I was almost afraid, but anyway, it was not a good experience. But I saw Adrian very, very upset sometimes, you know, very upset because he is a competitor and uh, he thinks that he's making the best car and he wants to have the result. And if it's because of the engine or reliability, he cannot accept that. But I saw him a real competitor, but sometimes he can be angry because uh, I never saw him like this before. And he's not uh, young. He has a, a fantastic experience, fantastic records, but he's still there, motivated and being angry like he was. I really, myself, appreciate that yeah, very much. Now, with Adrian, with Patrick, how much did you improve the car during the course of the 93 season? That was my biggest problem. I had to drive the car. I had to adapt more or less the car to my driving style, uh, but I would say maybe I have adapted the car by 10 or 20% and I have to adapt my style and philosophy myself about 80% to the car. That was uh, wow. that was very difficult for me. I mean, uh, you know, I like to go and uh, I like to set up the car, I like to try different things. I like, I remember many, many times and say, I wanted to go in a direction and come back to the pit and say, that's a mistake and uh, we have to go back. But you, you know, you're talking because on the active car, 93, was really, really difficult. It was so different, it's very difficult for me to tell you, you know, in the 80s, uh, you know, with the McLaren and even with the Ferrari, I almost remember some setup, some full setup of some races, you know, the car, I remember very well what I was doing, saying this. On the active car, I do not remember anything, no, because uh, I remember Paddy, Paddy Law was uh, coming with the computer, you know, computer on the side port, and then uh, he was telling me what was, uh, you know, going on. And uh, I remember when we were testing, I think it was Ricard the first time, and then uh, you realized that going flat through senior 
it was much easier to go flat than uh, lifting uh, uh, the throttle a little bit before the corner because it's the way the active is, uh, is working too. So I said, shit, I have to adapt myself to a different way of uh, not only driving but thinking, you know, because uh, sometimes uh, I really wanted to, that was also my philosophy, to drive, let's say, 85, 90% on the car because when you drive a little bit, uh, not at 100%, you have uh, time to think. You have time to realize if this thing is a little bit better or not. And also, you know that you have a margin. But with the active car, if you do that, when you go full throttle, then uh, you, maybe you don't find the same car. You don't find the same more advantages. So it, it was a different way of uh, working for me. Did you have enough time to get up to speed? Because, of course, you'd sat out 92 and... How did that affect you in terms of, did it take you a while just to get back into it? Did you feel as good as you'd been in 91 straight away or did it take a few laps? When I drove the back, I was only about four months or five months before I was driving a car because I drove also the, the DJ, if you remember, for Ricard. And, the, and then uh, when I drove the Nigel's car in September at Estoril, I really felt very, very good. This car was much more easier to drive, very, very good. And when we came back to Estoril with the 93 car, oh, that was difficult. I even uh, said to myself, oh, shit, you know, I came back, but that was difficult in many, many aspects. Even physically, it was not easy because the car was jumping, the position was not good, as I was explaining to you. So it was not uh, that easy. When we had the first race in Kailami, very difficult for me to use the fresh tires for qualifying. I remember because we were we were not doing many, many tests for that and I was never very, very good to make the tires work on one lap, you know, because of my driving style. And we were doing two laps, for example, I mean one, one uh, installation lap or one slow lap and one quick lap. And the last set, I've decided to go for one lap, you know, just uh, pushing a little bit more the first lap and then I made the pole. That was quite a big difference. I think I was about eight tenths behind Ayrton there before this last set. And then I made the pole by, I don't know, two, three tenths ahead. A huge difference. When you make the tires working on one lap, it makes a huge difference. I know that. So, yes, uh, on this side, maybe I would need more experience, but it was all new for me. And that's why also Damon was a big help because he knew the car. He was. Uh, a little bit behind some races and some races it was very difficult to beat, you know. So it, it was good, good for me to have this balance. Did you ever have the conversation with the team about reverting back to the 92 car for the start of the 93 season? We had a discussion and we even had some tests at the beginning of the year at Silverstone. I remember very well, yeah. And, and how, how did those conversations go with Patrick? Was it, did he even entertain the thought of, of using last year's car? Yeah, I remember very well. I don't remember all the words, but he said, no, uh, I understand, but you have more potential with this one for the future, which may be correct, but that was the last year of, of the active car anyway. So it would, in my opinion, would have been uh, much easier, but it's the way it is. At the races where, where you say Damon was very difficult to beat, what was Damon like in those races? What were his greatest strengths as a driver? You know, again, with these cars, if you feel confident with the car, 
you can really push. And the more you push with this car, the more you get uh, performance also, because depending on the setup, as I said to you, if you have a control roll, for example, control pitch or whatever, I mean, sometimes when you find the right, uh, the right balance and then you can push, then you can make a, a difference. There's a few places where it was uh, very difficult to beat. Even Silverstone, if I remember Silverstone, he had an engine failure, it would have been difficult to beat, even if I was blocked behind Ashton for a few laps. Oh, Alain, that moment coming through Abbey where I thought yeah, you had the yeah, inside yeah, yeah, line yeah. and there's a wonderful bit of in-car footage if anyone wants to see it where, oh, okay, Prost's through. No, no, he's not. Senna's still holding on around the outside. I mean... Wow. Yeah, that, that was one, one of the biggest moments, honestly. It was really, really, really close. Yeah. Really close. I don't know what, what would happen if, it, if we touched there, you know. Alan, how would you describe your relationship with Senna in 93? Was it more friendly than it had been when you were at Ferrari? I don't know. It was uh, middle of 89. We had no... Uh, I don't remember if we had any... any talk or any, uh, you know, nothing, no, no, no contact. It was like a driver that you, you never, never see, you know, it's not easy, <laughs> but no, no, the relation started again after the podium in Adelaide. Okay. But before then it was just rivals and, and nothing more, no, nothing on the human side. No, no, nothing on the human side, but as I said, no contact, no, no relation. Well, obviously there was no conversation about you telling Frank that you didn't want Ayrton as your teammate. He didn't try and take you to one side and persuade you otherwise. No, no, he did not try to myself. He was uh, he was uh, using the media about that, but he knew he knew from long time that was the case. You know, it's uh, I, I really felt bad about this story because it's normal. You know, it's, uh, when he goes into a team, uh, like many others, they all ask for a number one driver contract. I never asked for a number one driver contract. I've never been number one. I am even been number two behind Nikki for example, the first year in 84. That was really clear on the contract. But I mean, you can understand and everybody should realize and uh, accept that I could not go to another team. Uh, being a teammate with Ayrton, I had no problem to fight against him, myself at Ferrari and himself at McLaren, not, not doing what I've done uh, in the same team, you know, working twice harder, doing all the tests and during winter and when he was resting in, in Brazil, whatever. And uh, all these things, you know, you, you don't want to have it. It's uh, very important to have a good relation with the teammate, but uh, a very balanced uh, relation, you know, and had uh, fantastic relation with Nikki, with KK, with, with Stefan, for sure, with Demon, with a lot, you know, and much more than uh, than we think, and uh, that is good for the team. Obviously, okay, some people would say it's easy because he had the advantage, but you, you can create your advantage, you know, and uh, I knew that with Ayrton, I could not work the same way. Would you have welcomed Nigel Mansell back as your teammate for 93 had he stayed at Williams? When I signed uh, the contract. If I remember, it was January or February, so it was really, really soon in the season. The discussion was very clear. I said, the only one I do not want as a teammate is Ayrton, and you, you understand why. I even do not remember if it's not Frank who has proposed that, you know, because he knew that it wouldn't be possible. I mean, I had no idea about my teammate 
and I was sure that it would be Nigel at the time. I did not know that it would be a, a demon. That was January, February. I had no problem with that. I could not understand, I could not believe they would change two drivers together in the team. And what did you make of Ayrton's $1 million per race deal in 93? Were you surprised that Ron Dennis agreed to that? First of all, I don't know if it's true. Okay. <laughs> I think Julian Jacobi talks about it, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I did not check myself. And honestly, when you're talking about money and the drivers, you know, how much they earn compared to me, for example, in the past, I really don't care <laughs> at all. I know that Nikki was paid more than me. Ayrton was paid more than me. Maybe Nigel at Ferrari, maybe more than me. I really don't care. Yeah. Can we just talk about the Portuguese Grand Prix now? How tough was it for you to announce your retirement during the build-up to that weekend? That was not uh, difficult at all. Uh, the only difficulty was to mathematically I was not world champion, and uh, obviously I have announced my retirement before uh, the rest and before I was world champion. But uh, you know, I had to to secure my title. I've made the decision, uh, I think it was about one month before. I was in South of France in a house of friends. And uh, I said to the guy from McCormack and Rampel that, uh, okay, now I have enough. Because I said to Frank, okay, discussion with, with Ayrton is, uh, is closed. Or you stop talking about that because I have a contract. I don't want to hear that anymore. Or you, I cannot propose that you, you pay me the contract for 90, I had for 94, and then I, uh, I retired, you know, and then it's one or the other. And they have accepted, they have uh, decided the second option. That was in, uh, by the time we made all the documents, and uh, that was in August, beginning of August, I think, and I have announced in September. That was not, uh, by the, you know, when you make a decision like this, it was more uh, sort of a freedom that I, I felt um, because it was a bit too much, you know. Uh, you don't go racing for with this kind of atmosphere. And uh, I was really uh, in a weak position, especially the media was not very, very nice. And uh, at the end of the day, even on the human side, you, you, you need to make these things and enjoy. And uh, I was not enjoying uh, as much. What was the reaction in the paddock to your retirement? What did Ayrton say? Uh, nothing because he did not talk and uh, the only thing that Ayrton said the first time he talked to me again that was on the podium first but uh, especially after the podium and he asked me already that uh, he wanted me to come back <laughs> no, so, because, uh, in because Adelaide Williams and, uh, Adelaide already yeah a few maybe one hour later he said uh, yeah we don't want to stop and you're going to get fat and uh, <laughs> Why? And then uh, there were one week after he called me, and then uh, when he heard that uh, Ron asked, asked me to test the car, I said, oh, yeah, that would be good, and please come back, and, uh, you know, I would be more motivated. So that was a very nice discussion, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was so, I mean, you could not expect that. So different. You say so different uh, behaviorally, but do you think you and Ayrton Senna were actually very similar people, and that is why you clashed so much? No, I would not say that. No, we are very different, very different uh, 
driving style, at the, especially at the beginning, maybe not at the end, a very different way of working uh, inside the team, very different thinking, different education, different, uh, you know, uh, mentality also. No, very, I would say no, very different. And at the time, did you think you'd get another chance in Formula One or were you aware that that was probably it? Uh, I never thought this way. I had to stop. In 89, I had a proposal from one of a three-year contract, a new contract, when we were together with that in 89, which is really hot, you know, because it was really one of the worst periods. And I said no when I've decided to say no and to announce that I would not drive for McLaren anymore. Everybody knows in the pilot paddock at the time, I had no contact. I had no security that I could drive a Formula One again. That's the way I am, in a way, you know, I mean, I was not happy. I did not want to be unhappy again. Could not feel that I could do the same thing with uh, and enjoying what I was uh, doing. I am a passionate guy about motor racing, about racing, but not only racing, it's also the working in a team, working with engineers. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of the fun uh, when, when I can do that very closely to them. And I did not enjoy anymore. And uh, I stopped. And I was ready or to have a one-year sabbatical or stop completely, you know. So what, what you asked me in 93, I did not care about if I was, uh, you know, you have different opportunities. Uh, McLaren with the Peugeot engine was an opportunity with a lot of money, in fact, a lot of money. And uh, I said no. And then I had very close to another opportunity at one stage with McLaren a few years later, even at Ferrari when we had, I talked with, uh, with Jean. You know, and uh, at the beginning with uh, with Michael, Michael was there, and I said, you know, if I go there, I mean, we had a discussion with with uh, with Jean. I said, okay, we have to be clear. If I go there, I am a number two, and I try to help Ferrari and Michael to win a championship because that would be a sort of a you know, it's a clear attitude. I don't want to have any argument or things with the press, media, or whatever. Michael is number one, I'm number two, and I, I'm here to help. That could have been a possibility. It did not work, but, uh, you know. Alain Prost, I'm not having that. You going to Ferrari as a number two, I can't see the competitive beast in you. It's only to be part of a Ferrari success for many, many years. And that was part of the challenge, you know. And the human side, because the human side is more, much more important than you think, or people think, is very important to me. If you're in a team, and say, okay, I am here for that. I am, I am an employee again, you know, but I, I'm, I'm going to help Jean Todd, I'm going to help people, and obviously Michael, because uh, there's no way I, I could compete with Michael after retiring for, I don't know, one, two, three years, and then come back. But then I could help, maybe I could be a... Uh, so that, that could have been a, a challenge. Maybe it was, would be a crazy challenge, but I was very close <laughs> to... We, we, were, we were talking about that with Jean. Not, not for long, but we were talking... Why, why didn't it happen? Ask Jean, because, uh, I mean, maybe we find that it would be uh, difficult uh, to do it. I even do not remember who they took to, but uh, at the same time. But maybe it's better not yeah. having done it. But uh, you, you understand the yeah. philosophy is, uh, is, uh, is re- it was really clear. 
Yeah. I was winding you up, but I just a, a man with with your record and your level of ability. It, it seems an extraordinary thing. Yeah, but it's part. Uh, I mean, you do things when you are twenty. You don't do the same forty, and do, not do the same at sixty. You know, so it's you have to accept and then be part of a new uh, project or challenge. And why not? Why not? Is there at least uh, when it's clear? Why not? Formula One is a a funny business, isn't it? In that you you think how it ended with Ferrari in 91 and yet just a handful of years later you're having conversations about going back there it's it's no but uh, but don't don't um, ask me it's going to be too long to okay. about Ferrari okay. 91 no, but, uh, Ferrari uh, 91 at the end with the uh, the truck is uh is uh, is something that uh, people do not understand and uh, I will I mean I I'm going to explain in my documentary exactly what happened but uh, but you know the the only thing when you talk to me about the the truck situation, I I can answer do the same answer than and I do to everybody. Have you ever listened to the interview when I talk about the truck? Tell me one person who has seen the interview about the truck in your Formula One life in the last thirty years. Okay, if you show me somebody who has seen the interview of the truck, okay, please present it to me. That is interesting. So, are you saying that you were misquoted? No, no, I was. I was completely politically. Uh, they took this opportunity. I talk about the truck in about the because for one reason, but that was only smiling in uh, you know with my race engineer at the time, Luigi Mazzola, because I touched a car at the beginning of the race, the first first corner, and I had the, the steering bent. You know. And steering was bent, and the, and the steering was so heavy that was maybe one uh, one of the best races in my life. I finished fourth. I remember Jean finished sixth, and uh, I could not do better. And I I said I showed to the people who were there. So you see, look, I mean, it was so unbelievable. You could not move the the, the steering, and I said, oh, you know, what can I do? I was there feeling to, to drive a truck and thing like this. That was on the on the funny thing. But they used that because at the same moment. I was uh, having a, more than a discussion, preparing a contract with uh, Henri Peter, who was a lawyer of Ferrari, talking about being a driver and a sportive director at the moment for the 92C. And for sure, this uh, this decision or this move, a lot of people did not like it, and they used that. But you have never seen, and when we started the process of uh, an action from my part, you know, with the lawyer, we sit in the, sat on the table and the uh, I remember as uh, Luca was there, the car just arrived. I said, okay, before we start, just show me the interview. And they could not, because this interview has been banned from the first day, you know. And you, nobody has saw it, nobody. And if you see it, obviously you will understand. In my career, that was really bad because I love Ferrari. 1990 season was unbelievable, like a dream. And I really uh, regret that uh, we only have this uh, sort of uh, stamp about the Ferrari and Prost uh, talking about the truck, which was not. I wanted to have the I wanted to have the best for the for the team. I still want to have the best. It's unbelievable to have this, uh, you know, the, this brand in uh, in a country like Italy. And with you, you are you're always part of the Ferrari family when you go through it. But forget that. But what I lived is really unbelievable because I could not believe that you could uh, you could live this kind of situation. Because it goes like a sphere of the, the state, you know, and uh, and it, you, nothing you can do. Mm. Well, I'm now starting to understand why you attempted to go back. 
just to complete the circle. You love Ferrari. Two weeks, two, two or three weeks after Japan, you know, when, uh, I mean, I was in Australia already. Two or three weeks after, I met Luca de Montezemolo because it just arrived. And we were talking about me coming back already. <laughs> but it was too late because we started the process and I thought it was not good. And uh, I already had an approach uh, with uh, Frank, with Williams and Renault. So I said, okay, forget it. But it was very close. When you look at the pace of the 92 Ferrari, I think you got away with that one, Alan. <laughs> Honestly, I am going to have my moment of being proud and maybe not too much humility, but everything I have, have said was uh, more or less correct, you know. In the, I mean, there's no way you could, uh, you were going in, in, in the outside and the, but there's nothing, the truck thing is completely different. You know, I mean, I was working very hard to make the Ferrari competitive. There was, there was too much politics at the time. Much, much too much. Yeah. As it transpired, Adelaide 93 was your 199th and final Grand Prix. How difficult was it for you to move on from racing? It was, uh, I think uh, it should be more or less the same for everybody. You are very happy. You feel uh, free for very little time. <laughs> and then you, the first few weeks, I would say, you wake up at nine or 10 o'clock and then you realize that you're very young and uh, you don't want to have this kind of life. And you need to, when you have a, a project or target or whatever you call that uh, every day in your life, when you have started that, uh, you know, very, very young. So no way you cannot, uh, you cannot, go. but it, it's good to have, I had about three months very good, but starting to think about that, which was, it's, it's good. You know, you need to have a break sometimes. And then I started, started again. And uh, I never felt uh, unhappy at all. Never, never, never. Have you found anything that has replaced the buzz of racing a Formula One car? Funny you ask that because I remember I had an interview maybe one or two years before that, or two, maybe more than that. I said that I know there's nothing else that can replace Formula One in my life in the future. Nothing. You, you cannot have something, especially if you are winning. In no way you can have substitute. You can have uh, all the passion. You can have hobbies. You know, you can have a lot of things. You know, family, friends, whatever you... But it, it's very different to Formula One. But you, when you know that, you are not disappointed. I never regret. Never, never say, oh, should have not stopped or whatever. Never, never, never. Because it was for a different reason. And you've been training hard on a bike for the last 30 years, as far as I can make out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but bike is a hobby. I've had a hobby with the tennis, with golf, with a lot of things. And uh, I've been uh, passionate by a, a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm always in movement. You know, so I've done a lot of different business that nobody knows. And uh, I, will admit, I mean, I, I always had a very busy life with a different interest, which is, uh, it's, uh, I could not expect better than that. Alan, it's been as ever wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your memories yeah, you. and your pin sharp memory as well. You, you remember it all like it was yesterday. It was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it was yesterday. Oh, I have goodness. a good memory. Yeah. Sometimes it's not good because sometimes I will think to myself, maybe better to forget everything and then telling it about it. But no, I remember, I remember everything. Alan, it's wonderful. And I hope we see you at lots of races this year. Thank you so much for your time. Bye. Bye, Tom. Thank you. Isn't it fascinating that Alain's most dominant title win 
was also his least satisfying. The car didn't give him the feeling he needed to be comfortable, yet he still took 13 pole positions and seven victories. I loved all the details about the 1993 Williams, including the fact that he had to use an adapted version of Nigel Mansell's seat from the previous year. Anyone who's seen Nigel and Alan next to each other, as I have, will know that they have very different body shapes, but that's a detail that tells you so much about the team at the time. He also gave us wonderful insight into his conversations with Ferrari. Imagine him coming back as Michael Schumacher's number two to help Michael win the title. What a super team that would have been. I loved every second of that chat with Alain, and I hope you at home did too. And Alain, thank you very much for your time and see you soon. Now, as ever, please send in your thoughts and stories about Alain Prost. What do you remember of that 1993 season? Send them to me at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Laurel Rossi after last week's show. Wasn't it great to hear from the big boss of Alpine? Let's start with this from Janet Duff. I loved hearing what Laurel was saying about Pierre and Esteban and how they could rekindle their childhood friendship this year. That would be just great. Well, everything I've seen so far, Janet, suggests that they are pleased to be racing alongside each other at the moment. But let's wait and see how it all pans out. Next, let's hear from Bramwell. Great interview. Fundamentally, Renault cannot ever spend in one year what the likes of Merck, Red Bull or Lawrence Stroll can. With all that in mind, I think their approach is great. Thanks, Bramwell, for that. F1 is definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach. Alpine are unique and they will try to win their way. Good luck to them. And finally, let's have this from John. Great show. It's made me want to buy an Alpine. Well, thanks for that, John. You are the epitome of listen on Sunday, buy on Monday. I like that, John. Now, thank you to all of you for your messages. And please remember to give me your thoughts on Alan Prost in time for next week's show. And I'll read some out. And please follow and review the podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. And one more thing, F1 Nation's preview of this weekend's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is out now. Just search for F1 Nation to listen to that. Thanks for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.